Spurs in full cry here. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Windy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Windy. And our tactics guy and a man who touched grass, Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. <laughs> I touched it with my knee, Windy. With just the one knee? Uh, yes, just the one knee. That's right. That's, <laughs> did, right. Did, uh, <laughs> that's amazing that you couldn't remember of it. I mean, presumably... The just it just me. The, yeah. <laughs> just okay, fair, me. fair. Um, so many congratulations to Nathan and Mariam on their engagement. Thank you. Uh, a very romantic gesture that you just described to us, Nathan. Um, I just quickly like asking someone to proposing on two knees is a very different to proposing on one <laughs> knee it, the whole the whole kind of feeling it's like like windy when your time comes don't go bad on two knees that's, <laughs> that's old, almost that's desperation the yeah the peg sorry please <laughs> <laughs> amazing amazing lovely news very very happy mm. news we are once again very proud to be partnered with 1882 fanzine uh, a terrific new spurs fanzine um, issue two has just come out it's available worldwide it's a lovely uh, small transportable well-made nicely printed fanzine you can get your copy at 1882fanzine.com so 1882fanzine.com um, we really like it. We've we've read both issues cover to cover. It's great stuff. There are some excellent Spurs writers in there. You'll you'll know many of them. The design, as I mentioned, is is very nice. It's a kind of topical but also nostalgic fanzine. So some of the pieces are kind of on point for now, but they're never going to be pieces that that you won't want to go back to. That they're, they're, they're things that are timeless. Um, the issue two. Uh, fanzine is is named Leaving the Lane Five Years On, so it marks the five year anniversary of Spurs leaving White Hart Lane. There's some lovely articles, including Nathan, one from Spooky about Delhi. It's um, it's classic Spooky prose, isn't it? Short, punchy sentences that really drive to the heart of the issue. Yeah, I mean, obviously the the Delhi story is dear to my heart. Um, I think often, often in, in, uh, sort of what you might find in fanzine pieces is like, you get the, the, the prose, the really, the nice writing that, that gets to the heart. Um, but then sometimes because I'm a tactics nerd, <laughs> I can struggle with it if I, like, I find that like the analysis is, is wrong, is, is, or is, or is, is, um, hmm. too shorthanded. Whereas Spooky, importantly for me, hits on, um, what went wrong for Delhi, yeah. uh, and why, and that that matters to me because that that means that the um the it's it, it strikes into my heart very much. Um, I don't know. I I um I hope the Delhi story isn't over in the bigger feature. Basically, I, I don't think this is mm. the end for him. I hope not. I hope not. Um, if you missed the first issue of the fanzine, which came out late last year, you can actually make a small saving by getting the issue one and two bundle. Uh, that is available only in the UK or for people who live in the UK, but you can still buy issues one and two separately 
if you live abroad. All the details are on the website. So the first issue was about Spurs cult heroes. It featured Alistair Gold on Robin Pavlyuchenko, Dan Kilpatrick on Eric Lamella. <laughs> Dan loves Eric so much. I, I really admire that. Uh, and many more besides. So once again, you can buy the fanzine from 1882fanzine.com. That's 1882fanzine.com. And for updates on their future issues, you can follow them on Twitter at 1882fanzine. Um, I also wanted to say a big congratulations to Chris Summersell and his partner Katie on the birth of their little boy, who they have named Sonny, the perfect Koi's name. He's absolutely adorable, and, and Chris has adorned him with a Spurs scarf already, which is oh, yeah. which is obviously a sign of things to come. Congratulations, Chris. Mm-hmm. Congrats. So good news all round this week. This is a, it's a happy podcast. <laughs> Um, we can talk transfers again because there's been a little bit of movement. Um, unusually for Spurs, things are happening happening early. There's, the links are getting stronger. Um, and I and I guess the the place to start is Bastoni because that's the that's the rumor that's been gathering weight and getting everyone very excited. Uh, it's kind of ebbed and flowed. It, it seemed like Spurs were really up for for this signing, and then it kind of went quiet because it seemed like Bastoni perhaps wanted to stay at Inter. And now it appears that maybe Inter need the money and are willing yeah. to, to let their their highly popular player leave. Yeah, so this has kind of been the thing, right? They um, they had to sell um, Lukaku and, and Hakimi before, which led to Conte leaving and eventually going to Spurs. Um, and then it, it seemed like, oh, they're going to sell everyone, but then it was a bit calmer than that. They got those two sales over the line and then they could spend a little bit um, and now they're sort of returning to kind of a similar situation. So it's not like they're like completely on fire. They've got to sell everyone, but they need to sort of be turning over quite a bit of profit year on year at the moment. Um, and so if they want to bring players in, they've got to let players go. And they do have, again, I forgot, I've come to the podcast not remembering his name. They do have a backup to Bastoni and they and they do maybe fancy themselves to land Bremer. Um, so yeah, Bastoni is uh, like a boyhood Inter fan and he's living and playing in this city and he's young and he's got no real reason to leave in a rush and into just won the title um but if he gets forced out um i don't know i admit the obviously the power dynamic is is complicated right but i guess that's mm. what we're hoping on exactly and buddy i would say from speaking to you over the last year to 18 months i reckon this would be your absolute dream signing i think this would be a brilliant signing when the um i think him on the left and um romero on the right would be two incredible uh center backs who can who are very front-footed can come and win the ball but then can also gallivant upfield i didn't watch the finalissima because i don't care about um belotti benedeschi and, and the rest of those mugs that didn't get italy to the world cup <laughs> so i was i was really fascinated about the the 10 changes he made for the germany game and this this kind of new era that should have started ages ago so I watched that game and I was a bit concerned about, you know, Gnabry, um, Sane, Werner, not because Werner's very good, but he's very, really mobile. And um, to see how Bastoni got on and he was brilliant. He was winning the ball. He was doing drag backs, nutmegs in the in the final third. He was composed. Italy played a ball out of defence. He got caught once, but Romero gets caught mm-hmm. as well doing those kind yeah. of passes into midfield. And sometimes it's more about the midfield not, not reading it or being in the right position. And it was a very kind of... Uh, makeshift midfield from Italy but he was he was brilliant and um 
he would be a fantastic signing, either as a left, as an option in the centre. And um, makes me sad that Ben Davies will be pushed out for Bastoni because I think Ben Davies has been fabulous. But as a, he's a, he'd be a great rotation option. And this, this transfer just makes so much sense. He's a, a fabulous, fabulous defender who could do pretty much everything. And um, he's one of those that, you know, 10 years ago would probably be a central midfielder, but these days is a, is a centre-back. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't worry too much about Ben Davis because I think there's going to be plenty of games to go round. And as, as Nathan's mentioned before, maybe Bastoni can play in the centre at times too, which means even more games for Davis. Uh, and and he's Mister Reliable. He's always there. He's always fit. He's always available. He's you know comes in and does a job. Um, doesn't need a run of games to get it to get up to speed. So I, I think we'll still still see plenty of um, of Ben Davis, which I'm I'm quite happy about. And Bastoni uh, is a is a player with real pedigree. Um, I noticed from doing a bit of research that he basically played at every single youth level for Italy. I think that's a good sign. I think, you know, the, if you've been spotted, some, it can work both ways. Sometimes players are spotted early and end up just getting in the youth teams because they're in the youth teams, because they're because they're part of the, the in crowd. But with him, he's played significant games at every single youth level for Italy. It's also a, a culture thing in Italy. You're not, you're not an adult until you're 23, 24. Without being stereotypical, you, you live at home with your la mamma until your until your mid twenties. That's just what happens. I've, I've often criticised England for rushing players through too early, like Bellingham and the rest of them, Walcott, those guys. They should have been playing more youth football. Um, so yeah, that's why Italy was giving a load of debuts to 22, 23 year olds because they do spend all their time in the under 21s. And I, I just think that's good grounding for for individuals and yeah, as footballers. Mm. Yeah, Bastoni is barely old enough to make it into the international team, right? At 23, he's... he's, yeah. he's yeah, he. <laughs> but he's also already like a a title win, you know, contending uh, Champions League worthy um, player for sure. Um, at twenty three, he's um. You mentioned uh, you mentioned Werner's mobility, and for me, Vistoni, he's so mobile, he's so agile, his hips are like a salsa dancer, right? He's got the size and the the physicality that you need as a centre back to have all of those kind of necessary imposing elements and ability in the air, but he's he's got the hips of a winger and uh that does so much for him in in offence and defence, I think. He started I mean, I off as a fullback. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a madness if the big teams around the world allow us to put Bastoni and Romero in the same back three. I th- I just think it's it's a ridiculous situation. Man City should be all over this. Liverpool should be. Oh, I guess Van Dijk plays on. The, he plays quite comfortably on the left, so maybe that's why. But I, I think it's if they allow us to sign Bastoni and they've already allowed us to sign Romero, then it it should be it should be stopped because <laughs> that's 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 how much how good I feel about this if it happens. Uh, Alistair Gold wrote a piece about the already existing strong relationship between Bastoni and Perisic on the left hand side and mm. the, the strength and understanding that they have. Mm. Buddy, what's the what's the most we should be willing to pay for Bastoni? I think if you spend fifty million pounds, you're getting a deal because the the sell on will be seventy five, eighty in in three years time. If that's where you want to go, he's he's twenty six in three years time, and that's still prime for for a centre back. So I think if we if we get anything under forty five, it's a it's a steal. And up to sixty, 
I still think sixty million pounds is is a solid investment. Mm, this is an eighty million euro defender for sure. Yeah, yeah this is elite level. This is an elite. I level didn't think that we were going to be able to afford him. I when we were linked to him before, I said no. That's like he's he's out yeah. of our price range. Um, but maybe because Inter in a situation where they need to sell is a different story. Mm. I still think it doesn't make sense for him to. I still think City should be all over this. Yeah. I, I, um, yeah. United. Everybody should be looking at this. But hopefully the links. If he if he can see this as a as a continued developmental career move, and that's how it can be pitched to him. Work with Conte. A couple of years with Conte. Really develop. You're still really young. You've still got loads of time to do huge things in your career. Then I, I think we can really sell it as a as a massive stepping stone for him. And then if he if he comes to us and we do great things, he doesn't need to move. Otherwise, he can get that move to to wherever else to wherever else he wants to go. Mm. Um, Buddy, did you know that there were two Italians in the Premier League at the moment? Just two. Two. No way. Yeah, Jorginho and um, who's the next one? I can't remember. Ogbonna. Oh, Bonner, of course. Bloody. Yeah, yeah. So not some just middling Italian jobber kicking around. In- You'd think so, wouldn't you? So that was that little factoid was from Ben Bernstein, uh, who emailed us. Um, he 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 wondered whether there was something in that, like why why might that be? Why are there only two Italians in the They're all staying in Serie A at the moment, mm. and they just don't travel. Well, there's um, well, if you think. If you look at the Italian national team, the the world-class players aren't in Italy. Verratti and Donnarumma Mm. are... At PSG, if Bastoni leaves, that's another world-class player. And then I just think it's it's kind of down to who else who else is at kind of elite world-class level at the moment. Barella possibly, uh, but then no one if no one in their right mind would spend money on any of Italy's forwards apart from Chiesa. Chiesa, yeah, hmm. it's interesting. Uh, yeah, and, and Ben's point was um, about the wages. You know, Premier League tends to pay the highest wages in world football potentially. Plus, uh, England's a long way away from from their mum's cooking. <laughs> like to be at home. Uh, yeah, that that could have something to do with it. <laughs> so the other player that we've been continually linked with in the past few days is Jed Spence, uh, which I'm quite excited about. I must say. So Spence is someone we've been talking about on this podcast for well over a year now we 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 like him he's been on nathan's list and he's been off nathan's list because he kind of got superseded by uh, uh, yeah. a, another another wing back in in the championship uh he's always been high on my list i must say since i first saw him play yeah i um i've been a little down on him um but i <laughs> i i got into it with tiago the other night and we we argued it out and he he convinced me that um yes there's a lot of rawness there um but if conte is the one who is who is guiding us decision making then mm-hmm. there's so much upside um so i still have some um uh some reservation i'm not like all in but um the upside is huge. he's 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 so fast he's so not just fast but fast on the ball fast, fast as a carrier mm-hmm. yeah um that um with quite a lot of guidance i think he will need quite a lot of guidance um but the upside is definitely potentially enormous and apparently all the reporting is that conde himself is specifically excited once jed spence sees him and says this is i you know i can craft this into a, a remarkable player so can't i can't really doubt him too much can i no, I I don't think you can. So Sam on the Discord made a what I think is a really good point. He said um, that he'd been reading a lot of, of the criticisms of Spence, and they seemed to refer to things like decision making, awareness, concentration. Mm-hmm. And his point was, well, 
with Conte's patterns, you kind of reduce the significance of those because they just happen. You know, you're so well trained in, in the art of, of the system that you don't really have decisions to make in the same way. So it kind of mitigates a lot of the potential problems. And I completely agree with that. I think, you know, for, for a player who's very good at expressing himself going forward, Conte is the ideal coach to get the best out of them defensively. I think that's primarily where I am. But I also think that um, one of Spence's downsides is that he's sort of, he's brought his own patterns. He's brought his own. So his decisions are made in advance, uh, not reacting to. So if he's about to receive the ball in an advanced area uh, and then make a cross, he decides that before he receives the ball. Mm, mm. And then he decides on which cross he's going to make um, or he makes the cross based on how the ball's moving or whatever instead of looking at where the players are, right? Instead of okay. Um, okay. picking out an option. So, um, but again, I guess the point is if it's a team-based pattern and Spence is, you know, if you're in this position, play it to the far post and Harry Kane knows that that's the drill. So Harry Kane's at the far post, then then there is matching up there. So yeah, all right. Okay, let's do it. So <laughs> I, do it. I, I think he's actually got a little better at being, um, what's the word? aware yeah but yeah exactly adapting in the moment i think that's that's an improvement he's made in the last season as he's become a better player as he's become more confident has more belief in his ability and basically thinks he's the best player on the pitch i mean i think he does most of the time he when he's on the pitch now in the championship he thinks he's the best player on the pitch probably because he is the best player on the pitch and i think that's given him a lot a lot more kind of gravitas in terms of being able to hold onto the ball a little longer and evaluate things um so I my my one criticism of him a year ago might have been that he was a bit of a one trick pony, like the old kind of Aaron Lennon suck his guy in and then quickly dart away, you know, shift the ball very quickly mm-hmm. and dart away on the outside. He's much more skillful now, so he's got more tricks up his sleeve. He's he's trying all kinds of drag backs and crazy tricks. It's it's very fun to watch. I'm, okay. I'm pretty excited about the potential Jed Spence signing. I, I completely understand the the concern that some people have that Spence and Doherty might not be like the absolute top notch right hand side that we we dream of when we've got you know Perisic on the other side. But I do think the upside of Spence is exciting enough to justify it. I think it's, uh, yeah, I think it's a pretty high upside signing. I mean, I would, I'm not saying I wouldn't be keen on another top level right wing back coming in. And if it's Joachim Mela, then we've we've signed, that would be someone who can play either side. So that would suit nicely too. Let's get them all. Let's sign all the wing backs. <laughs> we had some other news this week. So Spurs did their player update where they announced that Galini's loan would, uh, would be coming to an end. He would be leaving. Um, obviously a, a, a vibes goalkeeper. Very obviously got on very well with um, other squad members and was good for morale, but wasn't much of a catcher. Um, extremely, extremely popular, it seemed, for someone who was there such a short period of time. Everybody seemed to love him. Absolutely. He seems like a really, really nice guy, to be fair. Um, uh, yeah, I, I watched several interviews with him where he just came across extremely, extremely well. So they obviously did their research on him as a character. Um, buried within that article was the information about which players had been released uh, at the end of their their contract. So lots of youth players being released, and we've been, I would say, unusually ruthless with our releasing of of young players. Uh, and the suggestion is that Paratici was not impressed with the academy when he arrived at Spurs. That he thought the players were were physically underdeveloped, uh, and and that might be a priority of his. So. 
Um, lots of the players who've just finished their scholarship have been released. One, two, three, four, five of them at least have, have gone. Uh, that is an unusual number to cull. We've normally released two and maybe three and, and the rest would be kept on as sort of third year scholars or given professional contracts. Um, I don't think there's any that we need to worry about too much. That uh, I'm not worried about losses, big losses there necessarily. It, did we... Did Ronaldo leave? Uh, Ronaldo Toraj, yeah, yeah. So he's he's oh. an Albanian attacking. Oh, it's a great name, isn't it? It's a great. Yeah. Um, we've lo- we've unfortunately lost another great name as well. Dante Casanova has That's has the moved best on. Name. That's yeah, the yeah. It's 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 a superb name, and I was really hoping that he'd play for Spurs with that name, uh, but alas, no. So um, so aside from the the scholars leaving, there are some slightly more well known players who are either on third year scholarships or. Um, or professional contracts. So Janil Bennett, who is the the player who scored the first goal at the new stadium, he, he has left. I, I think he'll get a move for himself to potentially a League One club. He had a good loan move to Crew. I think he'll be a decent pickup in League One. And the one that people are most upset about, I think, is Timothée Lotutala, who is our French under-19 goalkeeper. And I mean, I think the fact that he's the French under-19 people is keeper is what has got people worked up because they think, well, if France have recognised him as a good goalkeeper, they're, you know, why are we letting him go? But it's really difficult to know if he's any good because he's not really played a great deal. Uh, he, he rotated heavily with um, Oluwayemi, who's also um, left, been released. Um, and to be honest, Oluwayemi played more matches than... than so it's been quite difficult to kind of get a handle on whether he's any good and I'm really bad at judging goalkeepers anyway so I'm not like hugely worried about it to be honest Speaking of French goalkeepers uh, Mike Magnon has replaced Lloris as France's number one maybe at least he's got uh, you know he's mm. taking games now and I think rightly so and uh, we were linked to them before and we should have been all in for him but never mind I mean that that, that might be a good thing for us you know, a bit less a bit less pressure on Lloris a uh, few, few less games for him yeah yeah, maybe a little less wear on the body. I mean, mm. he's got his World Cup. What more do you want? You know, yeah. as captain, eh? Absolutely. Any other any other transfer business that you want to talk about? Uh, Bale won't retire now. I guess that's the the latest news for after the weekend. So Bale will continue for another season. And Spurs did their um, Instagram post congratulating our Welsh boys, and they he, they pictured Bale in there, so you can read into. I my ITK sources have been I've been investigating that. Who else have we been linked to in the last week? Uh, Alan St. Maximan. Oh yeah, what is that about? Why why must we be linked with a winger every window despite... Okay, okay, so first of all... Windy's up for this though, Windy's... I want Nathan to destroy him and then Windy to admit that he's all for this. So Nathan, destroy him. Okay, first of all, we have to establish that uh, he's a really good player. He's um, he's the dribbliest boy in the world, um, perhaps behind Dharma. And that's great. But it also means that he's like an established Premier League name. He's Newcastle's, in my opinion, only second best player behind Kimmerich now. Um, but they're, they're bigger star. So he costs a lot of money. Um, surely... Surely there is no basis for believing that he could play wing back. That would that would it would suit him. That that he could pick up the defensive side of the game. That 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 anything around that makes sense. That he would play either side, whatever. Therefore, he's only coming in as a forward, right? So you're looking. He's going to replace what Bergvine in the squad, or he's going to replace Lucas in the squad. But 
I really don't fancy him as a forward, right? He's he's a he's a wide player, he's a touchline hugger, he's a traditional winger. He's not especially productive, but what he does do is draw and beat players um with with incredible skill um so he's going to cost a lot of money he's not going to displace the front three at all he's going to have to play backup and he's not going to suit the role your turn Wendy no I mean it's it's really 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 hard to disagree with any of that (laughs) I just really like watching him play I really 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 enjoy watching him play yeah. yeah, no, um, no tactical insight should ever start with this sentence. But I was at a jubilee party talking to a new <laughs> talking to a Newcastle fan, season ticket holder who goes up. It's quite the commute, and he doesn't like him. He thinks he kills a lot of their attacks, slows down a lot of their attacks, and yes, he he looks interesting, and it looks like he's going to achieve something, but very little actually comes from it. And in the in the swift turnaround under Eddie Howe, he was one of their weaker performers, so he would absolutely be thrilled. Not that they need the money, but if they sold him and we gave him a, a large chunk of money, he he the situation he suits best is being the megastar on a like a lower mid table side if he yeah. can be the guy who every attack give the ball to him give the ball to him give the ball to him and he gets usage and usage and usage and just put up volumes of dribbles that eventually result sometimes in attacks via other players um, mm. but to come in and be sort of a bit part player I don't think that suits him at all mm. yeah I mean as you said at best he comes in as a Berg, Bergvine replacement which is essentially a Lucas replacement in terms of the minutes for us because Bergvine barely got any time so he'd be coming on as first change he's an upgrade on Lucas sure he's a in my view a fairly big upgrade on Lucas but is that a priority I mean yes sure we want to upgrade we want to sell Lucas upgrade on Lucas but for 40 million it seems like not a great use of funds to be quite honest uh or, or not the right player to replace Lucas with. We, yeah, we, should, I mean, we, we should be replacing Lucas with someone who can play up front or, or wide. And I, need, I don't think the maximum can play up front. We're going to need that depth up front next season, right? In in a way, um, <laughs> Bergvine would be a useful yep. player to have next season so that so the sun can rest. Um, but that's not going to happen because he's not happy after the season that's, that's just gone. Um, so we do need players there. I just don't think that you, you want to buy a £40 million Premier League star to 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 take that role because the the best way to achieve debt um is to replace your first 11 with better players so for example lucas is moved out of the first 11 and onto the bench becomes depth um you can't feasibly do that to our existing front three like no, who, no. who who yeah so um you have to buy in bring in someone who knows they're going to be second choice so you're looking you've got to look at younger players right you've got to look at developing players um for those positions for that well, not positions but for those roles um i don't i, I sam maximum is a developed player right he's yeah. established and he he mm. surely demands regular football i'd rather go after one of palace's young players rather than um sit maximum mm. elise is uh oh my goodness yes. yeah i mean i think i think i might have said this in the podcast before but literally every every club in the premier league should be willing to sign elise for anything up to 50 million i think he's i think he's so good yeah um i would like to hear you guys take on the the gabriel jesus rumors today yeah he's all right <laughs> Good, good player. I mean, that does make slightly more sense because he can play up front and wide, but yeah. um, I don't love him. I don't love him. I think he's he needs a lot of chances, a lot of chances to score a goal. Um, I think he's better wide than he is up front these days, to be quite honest. Uh, he's just sort of like a good player, but again, established Premier League player, high high fee, high wages. 
It's a different situation because he's not um, quite a starter or is perspectively looking at not being a starter. But then why would he leave City to be not a starter for another team that's Mm. slightly worse than City? Yeah, yeah. The situation just doesn't work for either party, I don't think. What do you think of Embardi? I I don't mind him. I think he'd be pretty useful. But like you say, he he doesn't have that kind of killer finishing instinct mm. that um that son has he would be a little bit more wasteful but i think he's a decent player and i think he's um in our quest for giving an alternative to kane or someone that can play with kane i don't think it's a bad idea deo would love to sign gabriel jesus he loves him <laughs> goes on about it'd him also, all the time it also um really annoy arsenal fans who thought they were going to buy him as well yeah i mean that is a good point that is a that is a reason it. to sign him <laughs> I'm in favour. Yeah, I mean, yeah. He's, he's, a, he's he is a very good player. I don't know. It, I mean, it's a matter of, of uh, talking to him <laughs> and, and finding out if he's happy to be. Because, mm. I don't know, if you're second choice behind both Kane and Son, which, again, is the Bergwijn situation and he's barely played at all. I don't mm-hmm. know. I'm not sure now. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we know there'll be, there'll be more minutes up for grabs next year. Because there has to be. Kane can't play a Premier League and a Champions League game every week. He will break. Please assure me that he won't do that. Is is Conte going to play Kane twice a week every week? Yeah, I think there's a chance that. Oh God, he, does. he is, isn't he? Yeah, I think he is. <laughs> <laughs> um, so moving on from transfers, we've got, we've got some questions, but before we do that, I just wanted to to let our listeners know that the Tottenham Hotspur Supporters Trust has launched its 2022 fan survey where the trust obviously encourages as many fans as possible to participate and share their views on the key issues affecting spurs and the findings will help inform the trust's work for the coming year and provide an overview of the mood amongst the fan base on critical issues last time they ran this over eight and a half thousand fans took part and they're looking to break the ten thousand barrier this time the survey is open to members of the trust non-members and both UK-based and overseas fans. You can access the survey via links on the Trust's website, thstofficial.com, or via their Twitter account, thstofficial. So get following them, make sure you complete the survey, have your say on all things Spurs, um, and and support the Trust's positions for, for next year. Nathan, you dropped a cheeky Perisic vid for uh, for for non patrons. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I'm making this up as I go along. I don't know whether I'm going to do that for every signing or um, whether that's swabbing off the patrons or um, whether I because I've sort of had a little think about how I would do that for Bastoni, how I would do that for Spence, and I'm not sure. It always works in a neat little package. Um, but it was quite fun to do. I was quite proud of it. I'm not always. Sometimes I come away from my videos going, "Oh, I don't know." I quite like this. Is like a, a neat little package. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I really don't know. It got 261 upvotes on Reddit. Yay! Pretty good going. Yeah, but Reddit also loved Lucas. So I, I, I don't, I don't trust Reddit at all. <laughs> if we mention his name, which we do every episode, then then <laughs> the comments on Reddit will be about Lucas. I don't know. Whatever it, is, it doesn't matter. Uh, so let's do some questions. We've got plenty of them still. Uh, John Gordon says the Guardian recently had a ranking of the best signings of the season based on who scored data. No surprise to see Kulusevski rank highly. No Romero, unfortunately, but he was curious to see Bentancur rank as number seven. 
Um, he's not someone, this is John's words, he's not someone you've had much cause to talk about in recent months with Romero, Kulisevsky, Son and Kane rightly dominating the conversation. So what do you feel he's brought to the team since he's joined? So Ben Tancor has... Um, he's come in and had an impact I think he's he's you know at the time he came into the team we were having to play Harry Winks in midfield because Skip was injured so Mm. he was kind of like an essential upgrade at that point a really really useful upgrade on on Winks I think um Buddy how do you think he settled in before we start just want to say on that list at number six is um, is Jack Grealish. So I think we need to take a pinch of salt with that. Even though I I got no beef with who scored, I I do like them. Um, I think I think Ben Tancor rates so highly because he's just been he's been important for us. He's not like a a game changer. He's not like you just invented a light bulb and all of a sudden he's just changed the world. He, he, light, but he's he's that kind of light switch that he, he's the one that be able that enables us to turn the light on because without him we would have kind of muddled through this season with with Harry Winks alongside Heuberg and I don't think we would have got we wouldn't have finished inside the top four so Benton Kerr has enabled us to be able to play a bit better and I think that's where his impact has been so great he hasn't perhaps delivered in terms of numbers and everything else but his partnership with Heuberg blossomed Heuberg had a great end to the season started playing much better than than I could imagine he ever could and I think that's where the the beauty of Betancourt is he's he's just enabled everyone else to play a bit better and he's taken us further than than we would have been able to go without him he's kind of um he's kind of just come in and done a job right but um what he's done is is just sort of immediately seamlessly replace skip um in a way where it's like if we didn't have bentoncourt my goodness we'd have missed him but because of the circumstances he came in it's like kind of just a continuation of business mm. um yeah i mean he he definitely has been a really good signing he just doesn't as you say get the headlines and he's just um i don't know i kind of I kind of had a little bit of hope that he would be slightly more technically impressive, slightly better on his carrying, um, slightly better in his in his playing under pressure. Which is not to say he's been bad in those areas. Just I had hopes that he would be um, exceptional. Um, I still feel, I still feel he so he solved the problem of Skip got injured, but he hasn't solved the problem of our general midfield creativity. And maybe that's unfair to like lump all of that on him because again he's done a very good rounded midfield job. Um, I just feel there may have been a slightly better way for us to go, and that unfairly on him sort of diminishes him slightly. I yeah, I, I think Nathan's nailed quite a few things there. I, also, I just don't think at that moment in time, in that January transfer window, there was the midfielder. I don't think we could have signed a midfielder in that window that would have done better than him. He's almost like this is a stopgap, but it's a really good stopgap, and I do think we'll see more from him. Certain teams. Uh, Man United, for example, I think it was Pogba was able to bully him and get really after him. And I'm hoping next season that he he just becomes a little bit more resilient and we start to see some bit more ball carrying. And he had some nice skills and nice touches here and there, but I, I really would like to see more. He joined halfway through a season in a really crucial part of the pitch, and and he's had a, he's had a good time. That and is I the want thing. To see more. Yeah, he we again like we're saying we skip getting injured. Like he we needed a player who was going to hit the ground running, and he really fulfilled yeah. that. And that's kind of the play he's always been right because you've have changed managers like 12 times or whatever and every mm. time he's just a, a mainstay so and that has been relatively unusual at spurs that players come in and just hit the ground running straight away with no time to settle in i mean we've been really fortunate that our two signings in january have done that to an exceptional degree i mean i would say it's not that his ball carrying is not good i think you know that that carry I'm thinking of on the edge of his own box was was unbelievable. It's like he's got that in his locker. 
it's just that he's quite a conservative player. He's sort yeah. of he's quite risk averse. Um, but I think that suits Conte to be honest. I think that's yeah. kind of what he's being asked to do. Uh, and I think Skip will be much, uh, Skip will be much the same. I think Skip's got expansive play in his locker, but probably won't do much of it. Joibio clearly, you know, we've seen some of his assists. He he can pick a pass, but broadly speaking, they 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 play safe passes first, and they they enable others to be the creative hubs. I mean, I think Ericsson, if he were to sign, would add the ability to do the Conte things and also add X factor passing as well, because he's sort of you know, a genuinely world-class elite creative passer. Um, but it, I don't think it's an issue necessarily that, that Huey Bear and Bentoncourt and Skip aren't. I think it's I think it's fine. I mean, I think if we if we sign Ericsson and then we go into the season with Saar, Skip, Ericsson, Huey Bear and Bentoncourt, and, that's yeah, a pretty yeah. strong place. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, I like that a lot. And, and you know, he, so he was replacing Winks, but he was also replacing Ndombele and and Celso. Um two players who you would say are a little bit more creative and, and Conte just didn't fancy either of them. So the sort of more conservative option was the preference. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty happy with how that transfer has gone. F- fairly good value for money as well, I'd say. Um, David Gelber says, and this is, this is from way back. So sorry, David, a question for your next show. If you possibly have time for it amid all else that's going on, what do you think of the TIFO display at the ground? One of the naffest things I've seen are the front door sized banners that get waved at the Emirates whenever Arsenal score. Uh, I would hate for us to go down the same road. Um, I can't actually think what the, the, the TIFO would have been referring to when David sent the email. I think it's the one from the North London Derby. Right, okay. Dare dream do? Yeah. Right, I'm with you. What did you make of it? I mean, I, I don't know because I sit in it. So it's like, like <laughs> you can't, it's one of those that you can't see it. Like back in the day, you'd see the big massive sheets come across um, the surfer flags, whatever they're called. And you always wonder what goes on. The people who can't see anything. So as part of it, do I also feel like a bit of a wally holding up a, a carrier bag above my head as an individual. But I, from watching it unfurl and all the videos from the opposite end of the stadium, it looks pretty good, man. Does it have an impact or GR players up anymore? I don't know. It looks nice. But the the flags at Arsenal are awful. The fact that they they have people employed just to sit there and wave them. <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of, of flag waving at football Anyway, I know sometimes we do it for Champions League nights and things like that. I'm not a huge fan of it. The TIFO, I, I don't mind the TIFO. It's nice. But it, it, if it, if you win the match, had we lost that match, that TIFO would have been meme to shit. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's kind of a, it's a slightly dangerous line to tread, right? I think it's very easy to get it wrong. Um, but I don't think we have so far. We've done a, we've done a, have we done two before? We've done TIFOs before on, on the mm. on the on the big stand. I don't know. They they've worked out really nice so far. I feel like um, it's just a slightly dangerous game. Yeah. Again, yeah. If you if you get hammered, maybe it looks stupid. I think yeah, the I thing don't... is that it's 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 a top down thing, right? It's come from the club. The club have decided. The club have decided for us how we're going to support our team rather than it being an authentic fan thing. And again, so far, um, everything they've given us to work with has been like worthwhile adopting. There is always the danger that they're going to you know, play a drum over the speakers at Wembley. Yeah, I think um, 
I think we're never going to get to a point as a fan base that we're going to mobilise and do something because it's not how it works in England. It's not how it works, especially with Spurs fans. It's a bit more kind of people turn up, they sing, they get involved and they, they the, the atmosphere ebbs and flows with the game. It's not like the, the Frankfurt fans you saw in the Europa League that just have a constant noise happening. It's just not like that in English football. I don't think we'll ever arrive at a point where Spurs fans get mobilised and do something. You can see how difficult it is from... I know there's Twitter accounts out there creating songs and all of a sudden we are seeing some, some original songs pop up and some nice ones, but we will never do a TIFO or a surfer flag or anything else like that as a fan base so if the club think it's right at certain games certain times of the season as long as it's not overused then I'm all for it I don't think it's cheesy at all the flags thing is bad but um, everything else I'm, I'm kind of on board with like Nathan said I think at the moment they've they've got it right in terms of checking the temperature of what we of what we want yeah um I was going to make the point that Nathan made that we're, this is what being, we're being told to do it feels like a, a corporate brand strategy rather than a, a means of supporting our football club your um, ad here yeah 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 it's it's the, yeah. they're projecting the image that the club want to project uh but it just so happens that it's not too it's not terrible at this point but <laughs> the, that's fine the fans are on board with it though had they not been on board with it, they wouldn't have held it back held it up the the club told the fans not to use the y word but they continued to use it so i think had the fans not agreed with it they would have just protested and not put it up yeah is it so it's plastic bags is it Yes, plastic bags. Doesn't seem very environmentally friendly. Are they? Are they no, recycle plastic. I think it says. I think it says you could take them home. So I, I took. I took, <laughs> I took mine home. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah, I've yeah I've got one. Yeah, I've got yeah. a dark blue one. Yeah. yeah. Well, hopefully it's recycled plastic at the very least. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's, it's it's all right. It's fine. I really admire the guys who've set up the the Spurs song accounts and we've retweeted them several times i think that is absolutely a critical part of of developing our um our way in the new stadium we need we need new songs we need new player songs and they've done a great job of uh of creating some new player anthems and and that will really really help the atmosphere so yeah hats off to them i think they've done fantastically so far um so we've we've touched on this a little bit already but sideways Sisyphus says, I'm a huge Hugo fan. I said Sisyphus. Is it Sisyphus? Sideways Sisyphus. Wait. Yeah, probably probably right first time. Sisyphus. I'm a huge Hugo fan. He's a natural shot stopper and his awareness of positioning has amplified that to an elite level. But an elite distributor, he is not. We're in a difficult transition period this upcoming summer because Hugo will continue to be our number one next year, but his clock is running down. While he remains the starter, it makes sense to bring in an English keeper to be his primary backup a la heart. But forgetting Galini, I never trust a goalkeeper with goal in his name. But with Leeds looking the most likely, so this is ages the question, you can tell how long ago that this was sent in. With Leeds looking the most likely to join Norwich and Watford in relegation, is there a scenario in which we bring in, in which bringing in Melier could happen? I know keepers are hard to evaluate, but he has shown he can handle an avalanche of shots while playing for Leeds in the EPL this year. He's not nearly as savvy as Hugo in his positioning, but he has that natural shot stopping ability. He's taller, he's younger, so room to grow, and he's a much, much better distributor, in my opinion. I realise that this isn't football manager and Leeds have a big say in this, as does Melier and his view on starting games. But yeah, uh, so Leeds didn't go down. So there's that. But but if we wanted Melier, we're at a significant enough level now where I think we could go out and sign Melier. Uh, and I do like Melier. I like his distribution a lot. I think he's got a lot of personality as a goalkeeper. 
but the stats aren't that great. They don't love him. Um, we've spoken so many times in the past about how we go about replacing Hugo Lloris, and I feel like it, that is a predicament that gets trickier and trickier. I'm I'm not sold on Melier. There was um there was an interesting beef today on Twitter between Courtois and Mark Goldbridge. I mean, I can't believe we're at a level now where someone like Goldbridge, who's a, a, a YouTube persona, is now discussing goalkeeping with Courtois. But they were talking. Goldbridge was going after Courtois for being just a shot stopper and not a sweeper keeper. And now I think Goldbridge got that all wrong because I don't think sweeper keepers seem to exist anymore. There's now a, a hybrid of them of maybe Edison and Allison are sweeper keepers, but they're more than that now. They they're almost playing makers at the back I think I think with Conte's system you don't need a goalkeeper that's incredible with his feet I think we've seen that with Hugo and how he's done this 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 last few months that you just need to be competent enough to pass it and the the defense and the midfield will kind of work out the rest of it we know he's not going to hit these long balls that Edison does and I'm all right with that which is why I'm not too keen on Melier. I think he makes too many mistakes I don't think his shot stopping is as good as as it's as it's thought of and yeah I just don't I don't I don't want him I think I think we're we're okay to go with a goalkeeper who's perhaps not Edison levels or Allison levels on the ball someone slightly better than Lloris but I don't think being an expert passer would be top of my list I would still opt for a bit more of a of a better goalkeeper in terms of positioning handling and the rest of it Melier is so young as well he's 22 23 yeah i think 20 i want to say 22 i was actually thinking of 21 but it must be 22 yeah um uh i mean goalkeepers tend to peak at what 25 26 maybe older yeah and and then just carry on at that level in some cases for a long long time um i don't think we're going to replace hugo well i don't think we're going to get the right guy first time necessarily so i I think we need to sort of be aware of that and accept that that might happen that we might end up taking a a dip in quality temporarily before we stumble upon our next long-term goalkeeper um nathan you wanted onana for a long time how are you how are you feeling now uh we didn't get him (laughs) i don't know like i i um like you, I don't feel especially confident in, in my goalkeeper scouting ability. I don't. I didn't do a list of goalkeepers because I feel like I just don't have that knowledge. And also, I feel like um, so like uh, the the most important sort of metric for for goalkeepers is is, is um their performance against post shot expected goals. Mm. Actually, look at the placement and maybe velocity of the ball. Um, but I feel like one season you get so much sway season season one season isn't good so so Melier he like um, this season he is in the like bottom 5 percentile last season he's like in the top 70th percentile so mm. it's like what you do with that right um, I think you need like three good seasons and then it's like any keeper so for example I'm using the free data that's available on FBRF right any keeper who's been in a top 5 league team established first choice for three seasons is like you already kind of know that keeper right they're already kind of established um maybe too expensive for us maybe not um so i feel like i'm 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 limited not just by my not great understanding of like goalkeeping and goalkeeper positioning and that kind of stuff um but also by the data that's available to me too if I did have, if I was working, as, you know, inside Tottenham or whatever, I, I would be using a greater range of of paid for data, and that would be the first stop. Is you you say right? Here's everyone in the top. I don't know, 
40 percentile of shot stoppers now who's good with their feet that we can afford right and then you work through your list there then you get your goalkeeper scouts to watch the players individually but um my position <laughs> from where i am is oh i quite like onana oh that uh Manion's doing really well in milan that's <laughs> that's that's about it Oh, uh, I quite like um, Sanchez at Brighton. He seems all right. Mm. I wonder what his data's been like this season. I think there are some good goalkeepers in the Premier League, to be honest. I think Sanchez is good. I think Ray is good. I think Melier's pretty good. I think Nick Pope's had a really good season. Um, Martinez Nick is Pope, good. Nick Pope is an example of a goalkeeper that I would be on board with. He's a solid shot stopper. He makes, he makes the saves. It doesn't make too many errors. I like his positioning mm. and I think he's okay with his feet. And I, I feel like if he were three years younger, then we would be signing him now to replace Lloris long-term. I don't... How old is he? I don't have 30. a... I don't have a... That's fine. I think... I don't think... I don't think we're going to... I don't think I think we need to get out the mindset of signing a goalkeeper and them doing ten years like Lloris has done. Yeah, you know, it's a fair if point. You, if you look at like the kind of top performing goalkeepers in Europe this year, Kevin Trapp, who I I thought was a was a chump, had a great season. There's uh, Bono at Sevilla is a good goalkeeper, and th- these are all guys. Courtois is another example. These are guys. Jose Sarr. Jose Sarr. The, yeah, these are the ex- Jose Sarr is a is a perfect example. He balances everything. Yeah, I have a real bad feeling about. Melia. He just reminds me of a lot of Italian goalkeepers I've seen come through the ranks who were going to be the next big big thing. Matteo Perin, um, Alex Merritt at Napoli, and they just never hype prospects, but just never got on. I would be okay with us going out and signing a 28, 29, 30-year-old goalkeeper and, and moving along at, at three-year periods with, with goalkeepers rather than going for the 11-year thing like Lloris has done. I've just looked at Sanchez's numbers and I, now I really want Robert Sanchez. That's my <laughs> my pick that he's he, my guy he, he's now. really good with his feet too friendship with Renana is over now <laughs> now Robert Sanchez is new best friend I would like to look at some of the goals Sanchez has conceded okay, before I make my decision yeah I think I think you learn more about the goals they let in than the goals they save every, every I can go in the garden you can kick the ball at me and I can pull off an incredible save and you're like wow but I'd, you want to see the goals they let in if you sense. look at all the goals Hugo Lloris has conceded you go oh this guy can't defend his near posts <laughs> from tight angles so not getting this guy and he's rubbish or across him he can't save anything that goes across him which there's so many goals go across him and yet we love him uh let's end with this one from horseshit and burgers love, love that love that handle uh do you know if any of the players listen to the pod if not which players do you think are most likely to and what do you think they would make of it so we don't know that any players listen to the pod but we do know that one player signed up to the patreon briefly which is quite cool. I uh, probably won't say who that was. It would be a breach of yeah. data protection law. Um, which players do you think are most likely to listen to the podcast <laughs> and what do you think they would make of it? Oh, I, I think Eric know. Dyer thinks we are soy boys. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. He's right. He doesn't listen for sure. But I, I, w- I would just like to say Ben Davies. Hey, man, thanks for, <laughs> thanks for being great. I think Ben Davis thinks we do a pretty good job, actually. <laughs> I think so. It is kind of. He's just sort of like, well, yeah. I think he just thinks, yeah, they're pretty. They're all, these these guys are all right. They seem to know what they're doing. They 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 produce some pretty viable content. You just described our podcast as boiled veg and yeah. plain chicken. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're we're right on the money for Ben Davis. <laughs> I don't think Kane listens. I think Charlie Kane probably tunes in every now and then to to have a little listen. Maybe he reports to Harry. Oh, who, but maybe they don't even talk to each other anymore. I reckon um, Lucas Moura hate listens. Just Dorothy like doesn't. Lucas is sure. just like listening in a re- like he's probably working out while listening and just getting like 
like audibly shouting, aggressively shouting. And his wife's like, Lucas, is everything okay there? And he's like, yes, everything's fine. I um I watched um, Matt Doherty make noodles in one of those um, YouTube videos, and he definitely doesn't listen because he was just he's just saying why don't you just get noodles out of a packet? And I don't think I don't think any of our listeners just think about getting noodles out of a packet. They actually have a concept of where they come from. So definitely Matt Doherty doesn't listen. Do, do you remember how thrown Matt Doherty was by by the question about doors? <laughs> was that in that video? Was it? Yeah. Oh my god. Um, yeah. He, he he looks like he looks like everything's a question to him. Mm. Like er, like he's just so sort of interested in everything as a new concept that he's never considered yeah. before. Uh, I, I think he might find XG a bit of a mind blowing discussion topic. To be honest, just want to say um, horseshit and burgers, fantastic handle. This is the least favorite question we have ever received. I I hate thinking about this. I feel so uncomfortable now. I'm thinking about this and I can't <laughs> stop thinking about it. What because you're worried that players do listen? Yeah, man. No, just the don't. I, they don't the listen. I, don't worry no, about it. Don't God. worry about it. Like no, they don't. They don't listen. They don't listen. They don't care. They, it's their job. It's it's not their passion. It's Fuck their off, job. Mate. If you're listening, go play some golf, you fucking weirdo. Yeah, but they have people that listen for them. I'm sure of it because they oh, um yeah like. You have media monitoring, right? So um, I used to work at an organization, and I'm, sh- I'm sure every big organization does this, but they have a machine out there that listens for their name being mentioned. And I'm sure if we put out a, a tweet that says Ben Davies, there's an algorithm out there that goes, oh, Ben Davies, and then they will clip up this part of the media and then present it to his people and say, Anthony Lombardi thinks Ben Davies is probably the greatest left-sided centre-back <laughs> playing football at the moment. And that will arrive at his person, and they'll go, holy shit, these guys are really talking positive of you and then they put together this nice dashboard about swings and impressions and all and like all that kind of shit so there are people who are connected to these players listening for sure i love that the idea that that as ben davis is walking from the the canteen to the training pitch his personal assistant is running after him with like a clipboard full of charts your numbers are trending up this week ben yeah. uh bardi from the extra inch gave you a mention and uh, and that's led to 47 engagements and they've and 39 of them have been positive since you changed they... <laughs> your 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 haircut by a millimeter, you've gone up five percent in positive engagements. Yeah, and then they, they put together a word cloud and they show Ben Davies in the middle and floating around it is boiled chicken and vegetables, <laughs> and then they do the same for Hoiberg and they're getting this mixed messages of Hoiberg and cement. He's like, contrast- he's like, what is cement? What is cement mixer? <laughs> No, but contrastingly, there is a cement company out there doing media monitoring going, why do we keep getting mentioned in relation to a Tottenham player? <laughs> so if someone does a, if someone invents a cement mixer and calls it Pierre, then you know why, you know where that's happened. It's all, it's all interconnected, man. Beautiful, beautiful. Uh, Nathan, honestly, don't worry. It's fine. None, none of them listen. It's, it's absolutely fine. They, they. I know that footballers check their like Twitter mentions way, way more than they should because the, they should never. <laughs> and, they should definitely never listen to this podcast because we oh are God. really like overly analytical. We analyze things to the nth degree. This would not be good for their mental health to listen to. I mean that they. It's better than listening to the to the fighting cock and figuring out <laughs> <laughs> and some of the would you rather questions that come there. At least we're talking about would you rather pull it back or cross it in. They're talking about all kinds of different ones. <laughs> would you rather pull it out? <laughs> exactly. <Jesus. laughs> and on that note. <laughs>
Um, so once again, you can buy the fanzine of our partners. I'm so sorry to them for mentioning this right now. 1882fanzine.com. That's 1882fanzine.com. And for updates on future issues of their fanzine, you can follow them. 1882 Twitter at 1882fanzine. 1882fanzine. You've been listening to The Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud, D Lindmer. Do check him out, he's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help.